Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hermeneutics 101 podcast. Now, I am recording this on Wednesday, February the 27th, 2019. It is currently 11.01 a.m. Central Time. Now, the Hermeneutics 101 podcast is a podcast dedicated, well, to all things related to hermeneutics. And what is hermeneutics? Well, hermeneutics, simply put, is interpretation. Hermeneutics is the science, the theory, the methods of interpretation. And specifically, we are focused on the interpretation of God's Word. If we believe there is a God, and as a Christian, obviously we do, we believe that God has given us His revelation in a written Form that his revelation is complete, his revelation is finished, and now our job as Christians is to open up that word, to read it, and to interpret it correctly. There's a right way and there is a wrong way. That we are to open up our Bibles and read it with this goal in mind to figure out what the text actually means, not to sit there and go, Well, it means this to me. That's irrelevant. God's word has a meaning. Our job is to discover that meaning, whether we like it, whether we dislike it, whether we're we're going to reject it, or whether we're going to accept it. Our job is to figure out what it means. And then we, hopefully, as a Christian, we will accept it. We will submit to it. Oh, we may not like it, and it may go against how we feel, but that's irrelevant. We don't change the meaning of the text to fit our feeling, or to fit our desire, or to fit our wants. No, 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 no. We submit ourselves to the authority of the text, and we do so by first trying to interpret it correctly. And guess what? This is very important. Your skill as a Bible interpreter, and all Christians are to be Bible interpreters because God has given his word in written form. Our job is to interpret it correctly. So all Christians are to be Bible interpreters. I get so tired of hearing this never-ending mantra, this never-ending droning chant with uh, among some Christians. It's like, I don't need to know hermeneutics. I don't need to know all of that stuff. I just need to love Jesus, read my Bible. No, you have to know hermeneutics because you have to interpret the text and interpret it correctly. So many Sunday school classrooms and and small groups within Christianity is, here's the text of scripture. Now let's go around the circle and you tell us what it means to you. We have gotten away from the Bible being the authoritative revelation from God where our job is to interpret it correctly and submit to it. It's become almost Plato, where we can mold it into whatever we want it to say. We can, we can make it fit our desires, our wants, our likes, and our dislikes. We see that today. If, you've, uh, if you're following along with the news, if you have our church app, um, you can get our church app by going to the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, look for VBC66, VBC66. If you'll get our app and go to the news and focus section, you'll see a lot of coverage about the United Methodists and them voting to whether are we going to accept LGBTQ clergy, are we going to accept same-sex weddings, same-sex marriages, and and they rejected, or they kept the ban in place against 
LGBTQ clergy and same-sex marriages, same-sex weddings. They kept the ban in place, but it was close. The ban stayed in place only, I think, by 75 votes. And for me, the story is, wait a minute, here's a church voting on whether they should or shouldn't. No, the church should be, what does the text say? Let's take the text, let's exegete the text, study the text, interpret the text to see what the Bible has to say about this subject. How we feel about it, how society feels about it is irrelevant. Too many Christians don't care about interpreting the Bible. And what I was going to say, your skill as a biblical interpreter, and then I got into a discussion about why we should be biblical interpreters, but your skill as a biblical interpreter is greatly connected to how often you engage in the practice and exercise of biblical interpretation. If you want to be good at anything, you have to exercise, you have to practice. Too many Christians spend very little time actually sitting down and doing hermeneutics, doing true Bible study. I'm talking true Bible study, in-depth Bible study. Oh, they may read the scriptures, they may pull out a little devotional, but they're not doing anything meaningful. It's just, it's just funny sometimes. Um, movie, you know, movie fans will get together and have a movie marathon. Video game fans will get together and have a video game marathon, a night of playing video games, all night. People will get together for all kinds of activities. But you don't see a lot of Christians saying, hey man, come on, uh, stop by the store, get some chips, get some drinks, uh, let's get some popcorn, let's get, let's get some you know, M&Ms, some Skittles, let's just, let's just get a whole bunch of, of junk food and let's stay up all night studying the Bible, interpreting the Bible. Let's, let's spend all night, we'll, we'll work on Le- the book of Leviticus. First, we'll, we'll outline the whole book. Okay, then we'll figure out the main theme of the book, and then we'll work together to to go chapter by chapter, doing a chapter summary method of every chapter of the book of Leviticus, and we'll make it an all-night marathon. You you don't have Christians do that. Oh, you have people with all kinds of other things, video games, movies. Oh, yeah, that's that's wonderful. That's great. They'll do it with, with TV shows. Oh, let's do a let's do a, a you know a, a marathon of this television show, and it's all cool and it's fun and it, it's exciting. But you don't have Christians getting together to do that with the, the Word of God. Why not? Why not? Well, one, I don't think they really are that excited about God's Word. I don't think they think it's fun. I think they see the Word of God as a as a burden, not as a joy. And guess what? Because Christians don't get together doing those kinds of things, and because Christians individually don't don't get excited about doing those things, they don't practice hermeneutics and biblical interpretation on a regular, consistent basis. But oh, if an argument comes out, if like you start getting into a doctrinal argument or a textual argument, every Christian all of a sudden shows up like, dun dun dun. I am the hermeneutical expert. I know hermeneutics. Let me give you my interpretation. Now, I rarely study the Bible in any meaningful way, but I'm ready to argue. It's just a weird situation. All right. I said all of that. (laughs) That's my introduction. I said all of that because here was my actual goal. But whenever it gets to this subject, I I get really passionate about it because uh, I I just believe there's so many things wrong with how the church today handles the Word of God. But I won't get into that. Here's my goal. My goal is to really give you something hopefully useful. I want to give you a hermeneutical exercise, a hermeneutical challenge. 
I want to give you a challenge that you can hopefully use. Maybe get some people together to work on. Work on it on your own. But you're going to need a Bible, a notebook, and some resource tools, some commentaries. You may need some tools in the, in the Hebrew, especially the Hebrew in this particular case. But grab the tools together. Get, get them together. You have uh, online. You have all kinds of tools available for free. So you don't, it's not like you have to do what we used to do and have to go buy all these books. You now have access to all these tools. But get them all together, and your exercise, this is going to be a pretty good one. Well, this exercise is going to take you to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Yes, good old Isaiah. I have it open right here in front of me. Oh, Isaiah, it provides so many uh, hermeneutical challenges. Wow. <laughs> it does. But let's, let's get started. All right? We start first. This really can be broken down and you have, uh, you have we'll call this uh, the, the first part, we'll just call it the introduction. I know it's not a good name for this, but we'll call Isaiah chapter 50 verses 1 through 3 the introduction because it really introduces what's going to happen starting in verse 4. And start, starting in verse 4 is where the hermeneutical challenge, the interpretive challenge begins. But we need the, the, the opening part, all right? Isaiah chapter 50 verse 1, thus saith the Lord. Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? Stop right there. All right. Now, this becomes a hermeneutical challenge, even in the introduction, because you have to ask some basic interpretive questions. All right. We know who is speaking, right? The speaker here is easy to identify. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. All right, all caps. We can get a whole discussion about Jehovah, Yahweh, Jehovah, how do you pronounce it? Okay, we can get into that. The, 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 we, the, we, the eternal self-sufficient one, the, the sovereign one. All right, God is speaking. He is the speaker. Thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? All right, basic Bible study question. Who is he, who, to whom is he speaking? Okay, because he says, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? Who are the people, right, that he's speaking to? And who is the mother? Your, your mother's divorcement. Well, who's the mother here? Who is the you? What, what, is re, what is he referring to? Who is he speaking to? Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom I have put away? The mother's been put away. And he wants to know where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? That's an interesting language. Like, what is he referring to here? Who, to whom is he speaking? Is there, is there a separation here in identity? Your mother's divorcement. Whom I have put away. He's put away the mother. Now he's speaking to the children of that mother. Who is the mother and who are the children? Hey, uh, I put your mother away. Where, where is your mother's uh, bill of divorcement? He continues. Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? To Of which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have you sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. 
All right, so we're getting, we're at least getting somewhere. He gives this interesting description of divorcement and being sold to a creditor, but we know at least the reason why. The reason this has occurred is because of transgression, because of sin. The people who have been put away, the people who have been sold, they're responsible because it's because of their sin that this has occurred. All right, now you at least can probably get some basic idea of who's being spoken of here if you go back. If you can establish, um, you know, probably go back to Isaiah chapter 1, you'll probably start getting some basic ideas. That's what I would, I would challenge you to go look at that. You could probably get a good idea who he's possibly referring to here and start putting some things together. But these are the kind of questions you need to ask yourself as you read. Verse 2, Wherefore, when I, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh because there is no water and dieth for thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their covering. Stop right there. Okay, he's, he's describing first a bad situation where a divorcement has occurred and people have been sold. The reason this has occurred is because of people's sin, because of people's trespasses. They are guilty and this has happened to them because of their sin. Then he begins to say, but hey, can I not redeem? Can I not deliver? And to demonstrate that he can uh, redeem and deliver is because of his power. And how does he, he give some illustrations of his power. At my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh. He can dry up the sea and the rivers by a mere command. If he can do that, he can redeem those sold, those put away. So there's some hope here. There's, an, a, there's a confrontation of, of a divorcement and of being sold. There's a confrontation or, or being confronted. This has happened because of their sins, but there's a, a, almost an assurance here. That it's kind of in a questioning way, but, but he's basically saying, I can redeem. All right, okay, we're getting somewhere. Now, are we getting ready to get um, some hope? Like there, there seems to be a hint of hope here. Hey, I can redeem. Okay, good. If you can redeem, how are you going to fix this divorce situation? How are you going to fix this sold to the creditor situation? How are you going to do it? But the text takes a weird turn. Verse 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned. All right, stop here. Stop here. Okay, Whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What just happened? What just happened? We have God speaking in verses 1 through 3. And he's speaking, you have to identify who he is speaking to and who he is speaking of. Right? That's your job in verses 1 through 3. God is speaking, that's not, quite, that's not even difficult. Anyone can interpret that. Who is he speaking to and who is he speaking of? That's what you need to figure out. But then in verse 4, something dramatically changes. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, now God is not speaking. Someone else is speaking and someone else is saying, this is what God has done for me. He has given me the tongue of the learned. All right, is that the prophet speaking? Let's continue. 
The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season in him that is weary. He waketh morning by morning. He waketh mine ear to hear as the learned. Right? So whomever is speaking, he's saying, God has done all these things for me. Verse 5, the Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away, turned away back. I will... I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Okay, whoa, wait. Is this Isaiah saying, wait a minute, all these other people were sinful. All these other people were rebellious, but the Lord, he's done something for me. And I did not turn away. I did not stop from hearing. In fact, I gave myself to all these forms of of persecution. Is this Isaiah speaking about his righteousness and what God has done for him? Or is this speaking of someone else? All right, so here's your challenge. You ready? Verses one through three, God is speaking. Who is he speaking to and who is he speaking of? He's speaking to someone and he's speaking about someone. Hey, go get your mother's bill of divorcement. Who is he speaking to and who is he speaking about? Hey, the creditors. Someone was sold into to, to the creditors. Who are the creditors and who was sold? He's speaking to and he's speaking about. Who is he speaking to and who is he speaking of? That's, that's what you need to figure out in verses 1 through 3. And you got to make sure you come up with a good interpretation there or you're going to misinterpret it. And verse 4, we have a major change. God is not speaking now. Someone else is speaking about what God has done. Who is this person? Is this person anywhere connected to verses 1 through 3? Is this a different person? Is this Isaiah? Is this someone to come? How? And you've got to figure... Now listen, in all these cases, you've got to identify your interpretation to who he is speaking to and who he's speaking of and who this individual is in verse 4. You have to identify them, but then you have to do what we say in mathematics. You have to prove your work. How did you come to that conclusion? Based off what? Now, you can go run and quote a commentary. Try to answer the question first textually. Use cross-references. Use other chapters in Isaiah. Look up and see what you can find that would give you an indication that you could authoritatively say, that is who this is speaking of. Use the text first. The immediate text, the book of Isaiah, broader Old Testament, wider, the entire Bible. See how, how much of this you can answer textually, then run to, I would say, try to find five to six commentaries, try to find a wide range of years represented, old, modern, old commentaries and modern commentaries, and then see how many of them agree with what you discovered. If there's wide disagreement, then you're going to have to re-examine your interpretation and figure out why there's so many different views. If there's universal agreement and it agrees with you, then you're probably on uh, you're probably on the right track. If there's universal agreement and it disagrees with you, you got to figure out why. But that's your that's your challenge here. Isaiah chapter 50 verses 1 through 3. Who is God speaking to and who is he speaking of? 
Verse 4, we have a change takes place. God is not speaking. Now someone is saying God has done this for him. Who is this individual? And how far does this conversation go? How far does this conversation go where this individual is saying, God did this, God did this for me, God did this for me, so therefore I did this, I did this. This person is speaking about themselves. Who is it? Does it refer to two individuals? Does it refer to Isaiah and someone else who was to come in the future? Now, you're gonna, you may read this and go, oh, I heard this in church. I know the answer. No, you heard someone tell you what they think the answer is. You didn't do any work in hermeneutics and biblical interpretation to find the answer. All right, I'm going to stop right there. I want to, I want to continue. I want to go back to verse four and start working through this and asking some questions. But this is the goal here is to give you this challenge. So here is your hermeneutical exercise for today. Your exercise in hermeneutics, your hermeneutic challenge. Get to work. Let me know what you discover. Let me know what you find. You can email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. If you're using our church app, you can use the feedback tab. Whatever the case, call me, email me, text me, something. Just let me know. Let me know what you discovered. And the main thing, you know what, even if you don't let me know, just, just well, get together. Get, get, get some stuff together. Get your tools together and just do the work. There's, there, there is no higher privilege than us as human beings created in the image of God to be able to try to read and understand his revelation that he has given to us. He was under no obligation to give us a revelation. He was under no obligation to give us his revelation in a written form that we can study, that we can read, that we can memorize, that we can cherish. He did not have to do that. And we need to see it as a privilege, not a burden. All right. There you go. Get to studying. Get that Bible out. Get that notebook out. Go study. See what you can discover about God's amazing word. Have a great day of study.